Isaiah chapter 7, let's read beginning at verse 10, shall we? Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now we'll turn right to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 26, and let's read together. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The verses from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah that we read just a moment ago were written at a critical time in the history of the people of God. At the time of this writing, Ahaz is the king of the southern tribes of the divided kingdom, the southern tribes known as Judah. They are being threatened with destruction from a coalition made up of the neighboring kingdom of Syria, joined by the army of the northern tribes known as Israel. Fearing for his safety and the security of his people, King Ahaz decided to align himself with Assyria and to trust in that godless nation to help him withstand the attack. Just as he's ready to make the final decision on forming the alliance, the prophet Isaiah comes striding into the royal palace with a word from the Lord. He proclaims to the king that his trust shouldn't be in the Assyrians, they are his ultimate enemy. Instead, he says he should place his trust in the Lord because the Lord is with him, Emmanuel, with him. The prophet then invites the king to ask for a sign to confirm this word so that with that sign, he will know that it's a true message from the Lord. Make it a difficult sign, he urges. 
Make it a sign that is so outlandish that the only way it could happen would be for God to perform it. Make it as high as heaven or as low as hell. (laughs) Well, suddenly the king gets all religious on him. Oh, no, he says, I couldn't do that. Uh, I'm not going to test the Lord by asking for a sign. What What he's really doing is masking his unbelief behind a cloak of pretend piety. So the prophet responds, you are trying my patience, and you're trying God's patience as well. And since you think you're too spiritual to ask, well, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, most unusual sign it is. The sign has a single meaning, but it has a double significance. It has both a short-term and a long-term application. You see, at this point in his life, Isaiah is a widower. The Lord speaks to Ahaz through the prophet and says, before Isaiah can marry again and his wife conceive and give birth to a child, God is going to deal with the aggressors who have come against his people. But because Ahaz has refused to trust in the Lord, the very Assyrians he is looking to for help are going to be the very ones who will devastate his kingdom. The short-term fulfillment of that sign took place within just a few years. But there was a long-term meaning to the prophecy one that I'm not sure the prophet was able to fully comprehend when he was speaking. I suspect he knew in part, but he certainly didn't understand all that the Lord was saying in his message to the king. See, the long-term application of the prophecy didn't happen for another 700 years. But then we hear Matthew as he writes in chapter 1 of his gospel of the angelic appearance to a man named Joseph. In a dream, the angel tells Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because the child she has conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew writes this commentary in verses 22 and 23. He says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. He goes back to Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. The New Testament writer Luke tells in chapter 1 of his gospel of the angelic appearance to the young virgin named Mary. When Gabriel tells her that she is going to conceive and give birth to a son who is going to be the Messiah, Mary asks a most important question in verse 34. How can this be since I am a virgin? The amazing sign of a virgin giving birth is of such outlandish proportion that no one would ever imagine its occurrence. It's completely beyond the realm of anything humanly possible. It trans anything the mind of man could ever conceive and transports you into a different otherworldly realm. Now, there's a truth I want to impress upon you today. The miracle that was experienced by Mary was a foreshadowing of miracle possibilities for each and every child of God. 
The miracle that happened through Mary is an invitation to you to live in a place of expectancy that God's miracles will come to you as well. In verse 28 of the Gospel of Luke, the angel greets Mary as the favored one or highly favored. The verb that is used here is derived from the root word for grace. And it conveys the idea of a person being uniquely privileged. It has the idea of a person being afforded a once-in-all-history role. What's interesting to me about this particular word is that it is used only twice in the Bible. The first time is here where it is used to describe the once-in-history role of Mary in bearing the Christ child. The second time it is used is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And in that verse, it's talking about everyone that is a believer in Jesus. Now, I want you to think about what I just said. Mary was uniquely graced. She was given a unique Role. No one else has been either called or privileged to serve the place she was given. At the same time, the Bible says that every believer has been blessed and chosen. If you are a follower of Jesus, do I have any Jesus followers in the, in, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means that you have been assigned a unique role that is specially made for you. The Lord proclaimed the promise through the prophet. It was a promise that a new order was coming. A new kingdom was being established. And it would begin with the arrival of a new king, the promised Messiah. It was the promise of incarnation, God becoming man. And I want to suggest to you today that the idea of incarnation, God becoming man, incarnation has to do with expectation. Incarnation has to do with you expecting more than you ever dreamed. Incarnation has to do with you becoming open to possibilities you could never realize by yourself. See, what God did long ago in the physical, biological realm, supernaturally begetting life, promise, and hope where none existed, he is fully ready and able to do now in any realm you might imagine. He comes to offer life and promise and hope at any place where life or love or hope or strength or promise or patience has disappeared. It is in those kinds of places where he comes to offer an encounter that is no less miraculous than the one offered to a virgin in Nazareth. Mary's miracle opens not only the promise, but also the pathway for God to incarnate his gracious purpose and power in the experience of anyone who will be open to the same order of miracle. I'd just like to know today, are you open to receive the miracle grace of God in your life? Am I talking to anybody that is willing for God to work his miracle grace in you. Well, I'm telling you, God is no respecter of persons. He shows what he can do in some lives 
as a sample of what he can do in all lives. See, he does these apparently occasional wonders not to preempt your hopes, but to promote your hopes. Through Mary, he brought to reality the ultimate hope, Jesus. In doing that, he not only pointed the way, uh, pointed to the way of salvation, but also to the possibilities of Christ in you, the hope of glory. What I'm, helping, what I'm trying to help you see and believe is that God has a miracle for your life today, just as he did to Mary. He has promised to bring his kingdom life to you today, just as surely as he brought it to Mary. The Holy Spirit wants to strike a spark of hope in your heart as you're listening to this message and hearing the word of the Lord. I want to know, I want to tell you, and I understand this, it won't be everybody who will receive this word today, but somebody will. Somebody will hear that there's a possibility for a miracle of God's grace to come to your life at your point of need. And that word is going to get planted in your heart, and you're going to begin to expect its fulfillment in your life. You're going to bring your confession into agreement with the promise. The Holy Spirit is going to cause faith to rise. I, I don't know who you are, but somebody is going to become pregnant with new possibilities that are born of the Spirit of God. Somebody is on the border of stepping into the realization of God's miracle promise. See, everybody won't believe it and everybody won't receive it. Some, some of you, <laughs> I've been doing this long enough to know, some of you are going to be like King Ahaz and you're going to get stuck in religious piety. You're going to miss the visitation of God's grace. I know that. But I also know that I'm talking to somebody who is right now saying in your heart, even if nobody else is going to believe for a miracle, I'm going to believe for one. I'm going to position myself to receive one. I'm going to let faith and hope rise one more time because this time just might be my time for the miracle I need. Somebody give praise to God right now. Hallelujah. This time just might be my time. Hallelujah. Now, when you look at Mary's story, you find three ingredients that enabled her to become a participant in God's plan and receive his miracle. These are the same three ingredients that will position you to experience the miracle of God's kingdom life coming to your place of greatest need. So let's look at them. First of all, I want you to see that there is the promise to expect. I don't know what kind of middle picture you have of Mary. I don't know if you think of her kneeling in prayer and meditation when the angel appears to her. Or maybe you see her in soft lighting in front of stained glass with a, with a halo over her head. When I read the story, I come away from it with a completely different sort of picture. Here she is, a young teenage girl, maybe about 15 years old. I see her quietly minding her own business, doing the things that young teenage girls of the first century do. Maybe she's doing chores. Maybe she's down scrubbing the floor. She's disheveled, perspiring, not doing anything particularly religious. 
In fact, the last thing she expects to see is an angel. Suddenly, without any warning, the angel Gabriel appears to her. It so unnerves her that he has to speak words of assurance to her and say, do not be afraid. Have you noticed that usually when an angel appears in the Bible, that's the first thing they say? Do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Calm down. It's okay, you know. I suspect if an angel appeared to me right now, I'd jump back and, you know. You know, angels are not these cute little chubby cherubs that we see at Valentine's Day. Flying around with a little bow and arrow, you know. No, 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 no. Angels are mighty warriors. They're terrifying creatures. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. And then came the promise. You are a virgin, but without any intimate contact with a man, you will conceive and bear a son who will be the savior of the world. Wow. What an incredible promise. And I want to suggest to you today that one of the ways you know that a promise is from God is because it will always be something to stagger your mind. It will always be something so incredible, so impossible, so unexpected that it has to be God. Only God could do something so spectacular. There can be no other explanation for it. It must be a God thing. There's something else you need to know about this kind of promise. When God gives you a promise, he expects you to believe it. Now, y'all are just nodding and smiling, saying, mm-hmm, I get that. All right. But I want to drive that in. He expects you to believe it. He doesn't make promises just to create false hope. He makes promises to spark hope in order to increase faith so that he can fulfill his word and show himself mighty in this world. Listen, listen. The incarnation is more than a theological concept that reflects upon a time in ancient history. It has a present-day relevance. The the incarnation doesn't just speak on a global scale about God coming as a man for the world, but it speaks on a personal scale about God coming to you. The incarnation isn't just about God becoming a man through the virgin birth, but it is about you receiving Jesus through faith and being born again. It speaks of Jesus being born not just in a stable in Bethlehem, but being born in you. In that miracle of new birth, all of who Jesus is comes to your life. The miracle he wants to birth in you is the full revelation of his person and his power being manifest right at the point of your greatest need. So you may feel like your situation is hopeless. You may feel like the last possibility has been tried and failed. 
You may feel that all the resources are exhausted, but the Lord comes to you with a new possibility, with a fresh hope, with the implanting of a miracle seed that will spring forth and give birth to his abundant life. See, right now, the Lord is speaking to somebody that is weary and discouraged. And the word of the Lord is a promise to begin to expect the miracle of his kingdom life. I want to tell you, the Lord has a miracle of deliverance for you today. The Lord has a miracle of healing for you today. The Lord has a miracle of provision for you today. The Lord has a miracle of divine strength for you today. The Lord has a miracle of a fresh beginning for you today. That's his promise. And with the proclamation of his promise comes the assurance that he who promised will surely bring it to pass. Not only is there the promise to expect, but then there is the permission to act. The permission to act. The Lord speaks an incredible promise to King Ahaz through the prophet, and later the angel delivers the promise to Mary, and it is at this point that most people act more like Ahaz than Mary. You short-circuit the miraculous intervention of God. See, when the plan isn't the path you were expecting it to be, when the way is difficult, when the method causes inconvenience or even a redirection, that's when people pass on the miracle. I've discovered that most people have a tendency to gloss over the difficulties Mary faced when she embraced the promise of God's kingdom life miraculously coming. You know, the story's been told so often. You've seen the sentimental cards and heard the sweet children singing the lovely carols until too often you've missed the harsh realities of what was going on here. Remember, Mary is betrothed to a man, which was something far more binding than our modern engagement. During, in the betrothal, it was as if you were already married with everything except the wedding night. During this time of betrothal, Mary conceives a child before the marriage is consummated. In that culture, at that time, that's grounds for not only dissolving the engagement, it's grounds for stoning because she was considered to have committed adultery. Now, can you imagine the kind of thoughts that must have gone through Mary's head when the angel says, you're going to conceive and bear a son without any kind of intimate contact with a man? Well, now let me get... I'm just a young girl. Uh, I'm not ready for a baby. I don't know how to be a mother. Uh, how am I going to break this news to Joseph? And, and how is he going to respond? Um, think of my reputation and the, and the reputation about my family. It's going to be a black mark against them. And Think what, a, think what a pregnancy will do to my appearance. Uh, why now? Why can't, why can't it come on my terms at my time? And, 
And, and the birth in a stable, his first crib, a feeding trough. I mean, he's the son of God. Can't we do better than that? That's the way most people would have played it. But Mary doesn't short-circuit the plan of God. Instead, she cooperates with God's will and plan when she says in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Watch this. May it be done to me according to your word. Now, it may seem a little strange to talk about giving God permission to act. But what you need to understand is that God will never force a miracle on you. He will make a promise, but he will never insist. And in order for you to receive God's miraculous kingdom life, you're going to have to cooperate with him, and you're going to have to give him permission to bring the miracle his way in his time. You know how we do it. Okay, God, I need this miracle. See, most of us want a miracle, but we just don't want the circumstances that necessitate the miracle. Right? And then we want the miracle, but then we want to tell God how to do the miracle. Make no mistake, when God plants a miracle in your life and that miracle begins to grow, it, oftentimes that miracle doesn't happen right then. It, 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 it has to germinate. It has, it has to grow. And when that miracle begins to grow, it will always stretch you. I want to tell you, when you are pregnant with God's possibilities for your life, it will change your diet. How many of you ladies, when you were expecting a child, you, you had to make some adjustments in how you eat? Mm-hmm. It will change what you put in when God's miracle has been planted in your life. I'll tell you something else. It'll change the way you walk. There's new life inside of you. And I want to tell you, if new wine will break apart old wine skins, I can't help but believe that it will certainly leave some stretch marks on the new ones. If you're going to experience the fulfillment of the miraculous kingdom life God has birthed in you, then you're going to have to give him permission to act as he sees fit. There's the promise to expect, there's the permission to act. And finally, I want you to see, there must also be the power to perform. The angel said to Mary that she was going to conceive and give birth to a son who is to be the Messiah. The logical question to ask is the one that she poses in verse 34 when Mary says, how can this be? The answer reveals the power to perform when the angel responds in verse 35 and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Notice, if you will, that the only thing Mary had to base her expectation of a miracle upon was the word of the Lord. That's all she had. And I tell you this because most of the time, when there is a God-sized promise in your life, the only thing you'll have to go on is the word of the Lord. 
you're not going to get a sign. You're not going to get handwriting on the wall. You're not going to get a rainbow in the sky. You're not going to get an angelic visitation. All you're going to have is a word from the Lord. But may I just tell you, when all you have is God's word, that's enough. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In Matthew 24 25, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The promise, oh, get this, please. The promise of his word is the assurance that nothing is impossible with God. When the situation looks hopeless and impossible to all human understanding, when you can't find any way to make it work, that's when God makes a promise that he is birthing something wondrous within you and is causing all things to work together for your good. When he makes a promise, then he always accomplishes the word of his promise by the power of his spirit. When that happens, then verse 37 of our text becomes a living reality and you discover the truth of what the angels said to Mary when he said, for nothing will be impossible with God. When you look at everything that's stacked against the fulfillment of God's promise, it's easy to give in to feelings of helpless despair. But that's because you've forgotten what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and the power of the Most High overshadows you. See, when the angel appeared to Mary, the idea of a virgin giving birth to a child it was every bit as preposterous then as it is now. This is completely contrary to nature. This isn't the way it's supposed to happen. In the natural, it is impossible, but not when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and the power of the Most High overshadows you. See, Mary believed, Mary obeyed. She gave permission for God to act according to his will and his purpose. She said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. The angel proclaimed God's promise. Mary responded, amen, so be it. Nine months later, Jesus was born of a virgin just the way God said it would happen with with man, it is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. And may I just tell you today, that's how your miracle is going to happen. It will come when there's a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God. It will come when you get to that place where you aren't swayed by the conflicts of the age and you aren't swayed by the hype and the sensationalism. It will come when you get to the place where you trust God more than you trust anything or anybody else. It will come when you recognize and embrace the truth of Zechariah 4 and 6 that it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I know there are a lot of people who hear this talk about miracles and about the kingdom coming and they chalk it up to foolishness or fanaticism or maybe even to a lack of intelligence. But I have to tell you that if you're here to try and dissuade me from believing in and expecting and pursuing the miraculous, <laughs> you've come too late. I've seen God come through too many times. I've seen relationships that were irreparably broken, put back together when the Holy Spirit came upon them and the power of the Most High overshadowed them. 
I've seen those bound by habits that were destroying their lives delivered and made whole when the Holy Spirit came upon them and the power of the Most High overshadowed them. I've seen a way opened when there didn't seem to be any way. I've seen that which was dead spring forth into new life and productivity. I've seen hope reborn. What I'm talking about here is nothing short of an inbreaking of God's kingdom into this earthly kingdom. What I'm talking about is an agreement with the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. There have been too many times when I've been an eyewitness to the truth that with man it is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. Now, now maybe you're part of this service today and you're looking over your situation. You hear the promise of God for peace and joy and power. You hear the promise of God for the miraculous, but nothing seems to be adding up, and you're wondering, how can this be? You can't put the relationship back together by yourself. You can't break the habit by yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't beat the depression or conquer the fear by yourself. You can't find sufficient resources by yourself. I want to tell you, you have a choice. You can choose to respond like Ahaz, fall back on some piously sounding religious jargon that discounts the miraculous and refuses to trust in the provision of the Almighty, or you can choose to respond like Mary. So will you learn a lesson from her today? Will you simply say, along with her, here am I, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Will you open yourself to God's possibilities? Will you give your amen of affirmation to his promise? Will you cooperate with his plan and his purpose for your life? Will you come to him in simple faith, prepared to act in obedience to his word? If you'll do that, then he will work his miracle in you. He will bring his kingdom life to you and will usher you into that place of the miraculous that he has planned just for you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. You will know for certain, and everyone around you will know as well, that it was not you, but it was God who completed the work he promised. Let me ask you, are you facing a situation that looks impossible? Why not trust God? Give him a chance. You already know that with man it is impossible. Don't, don't you know that? As you survey the situation of your life, don't you know that what's going on in your life, you can't fix it? Nobody can fix it. If anybody could fix it, it would have already been fixed. Come on, somebody. With man, it is impossible. So why not let God show you today that with him, nothing is impossible? I want you to stand with me, please. I want to agree with you today for a miracle. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what miracle it is you need in your life. Let's bow our heads together for a moment, please. 
If there's somebody in part of this service and you'd say to me, Pastor John, I need a miracle. Whatever that means for you. I can't fix it. I can't do it. I don't know anybody that can do it. If, if it's going to be fixed, God's going to have to get in the mix of this. I need a miracle. Let me see your hand. Just put it up. Just hold it up. Father, I'm believing now for the people who are sharing with me in this prayer. I'm believing that miracle grace is going to come to them just as surely as you graced Mary for the miraculous. Grace the lives of these people for the miraculous. Do what only you can do. Show us what we need to do to cooperate with you. Show us the plan we need to follow. Show us if there's any activity we need to engage in. Show us if there's any changes to our, to our diet or to our walk that we need to make. Whatever it is, reveal that to us. But, oh, God, our hope and our trust is not in anything we can do. Our hope and our trust is only in you. And I'm asking that faith come alive in our hearts and that miracles be released in the lives of your people. I pray, O oh Lord, that this week these people begin to see evidence that miracle life is flowing to them by the power of the Spirit of God. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. I sense your presence right now. I sense your touch. Oh, somebody, somebody just, just, just thank the Lord if you sense his presence touching you right now. Come on, just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 